Welcome to episode one of the Ninth Story Podcast. Today, Dr. John Towers makes a house call. We talk about likable villains, witchy women, and putting worms in people's ears. The doctor tells us when it's okay to skin puppies and kick babies, and what happens when Nazis eat your sister. Hello, let's go for a ride. to welcome everybody to the Ninth Story Podcast. This is our inaugural episode, and I thought it was appropriate to start off with a podcast extraordinaire in the studio, someone who's done well over 100 episodes of his own show, Dr. John Towers. Thank you. Thank you, Dan. How's it going? Doing well, John. I really appreciate you taking the time out of your busy schedule to come down and sit with me today. So for the benefit of those who aren't familiar with your work or Red Horse Radio, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, your show, and what you've been working on? I run Red Horse Radio. It's kind of like a Wild West sort of podcast. I just talk about whatever, have some folks in every now and again. I also have been publishing indie comic books for 10 years now. So this is my big anniversary. Oh, yeah? Yeah. In my spare time, once or twice a month, I'll squeeze my fat ass into some tights <laughs> and uh, I'll do my indie pro wrestling thing. That's well. terrific. Yeah. So the comic books, now you have a website that has a ton of stuff, merchandise available. You've been yeah. doing this for a while. Yeah. Really the super hub of the Stigmataverse, which is what I call my ancillary right. kind of things, is www.johnnyax.com, J-O-N-N-Y-A-X-X.com. You can pick up the radio shows there. Hell, there's even wrestling matches, comic books. You got videos, music. Yeah, and someone wrote a song about you. Is that on there too? Yeah, yeah. I'm sure it's on there someplace. That's terrific. <laughs> you have a great site. You have a lot of interactive stuff. I know that you're active on the FB and Twitterverse and yeah. all that stuff as yeah, well. Yeah, try to get into that. I'm still... All that social media is, it's difficult to figure out what works and what doesn't. And sometimes it's, it's almost like a full-time job to do the whole social media thing in and of itself. Yeah, you have to have like a formula. You can post stuff for promotion purposes. Right. You can't just hammer everyone that follows you with promotion stuff every now and then. Some of it has to be fun stuff just for the just for the hell of it. Yeah, and I'm sure there's a formula out there. I, you know, I'm still working on trying to find it. It's probably going to be something like you get two jokes a day, <laughs> one snarky comment, <laughs> and then you can post uh, some kind of promotional some kind of promotional thing. You so know. you have some wedding plans coming up. Yes, I'm getting married. So all you ladies out there, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm off the market. It's a sad day for yeah. everyone. <laughs> there are women crying themselves to sleep now. <laughs> yeah, I'm getting married um, next month. So my lady's sort of witchy. So yeah, the moon had to be like right and the, the date. And, you know. Have you heard that NASA does that? All the launch dates that NASA uses are tied into some sort of occult type date. Yeah, it's what you're talking about is somebody with a tinfoil hat. The conspiracy theory is uh, it's tied into the Egyptian star mythology. Okay, that's right. So yeah, it's yeah, like yeah. you look at constellation like Sirius, and then like these folks also read into like the mission patches and find hidden meaning and wow. in those things. You yeah. see, I'm usually pretty up on my conspiracy theories, and you out conspiracy theoried me. You're like. <laughs> 
So, Dan, I got to tell you that I I like your dramatic reading of your your story. Oh, the, the little story that I've been doing. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. And all the the sound design stuff it works really well. I, I really enjoy it. I appreciate that. It takes me right back to when I was a kid. I would go to the library. I don't. People probably, I don't know if people, I don't know if there are still libraries anymore. What's, what's a library, John? Is that those buildings where they put those books? Shh. The, um, I used to go and raid the vinyl section and get all the shadow radio serials. Oh, you got to love the shadow. That was a great show. Who knows what evil lurks in the hearts of men? And I would sit in, you know, the back little cubby of the library and just listen to all these like radio shows. And that kind of takes me right back. Something to have fun with. Yeah, but it's classic noir trope, like the the amnesia bit and all that. I have kind of an idea where it's going, and so far it hasn't headed in that direction, so we'll see what happens. <laughs> it's like writing subconsciously after three glasses of whiskey. It brings out stuff that's best left unwritten, I guess. Nice. So today we wanted to uh, talk a little bit about uh, evil characters and why they're compelling. So we'll go ahead and take a uh, quick little break. I wish and- you had a sting. So it could be like... Today we're talking about today's the bad guy episode. Well, you know, dun, I, dun, dun. I, I could uh, I could do this thing, but uh, <laughs> I just maybe we just add that in post, right? It's like <laughs> today we're going to talk about evil characters and why they're compelling. And then you hear the crickets. <laughs> <laughs> so we'll take a quick break. When we get back, we'll have our main discussion on evil characters and what makes them compelling. Stay tuned. Take it easy, killer. So we're back, and we're going to talk about evil characters and why they're compelling. And to get us started, we'll start out with a list that I found on tvtropes.org. I'll put a link directly to it in the show notes, and it's about likable villains and reasons why people tend to be drawn to dark characters. And I think these are the same techniques that a good writer uses to keep their audience connected with that dark character. Under admiration, we're going to look at evil is cool, worthy opponent, magnificent bastard, love to hate. Under morality, we have never hurt an innocent, noble demon, even evil has its standards, and sympathy for the devil is under understanding. And then I have a list of the different characters to discuss and how they tie into these different ways of connecting with the characters. We probably won't get to all of them, but we can go ahead and throw the uh, the full list on the show notes. The first one that they list is uh, evil is cool. So what is this we- like? Would you classify like uh, Bram Stoker as Dracula as this kind of? Yeah, I mean, I guess so. I mean, there's been so many iterations of Dracula. I mean, like the Gary Oldman, like when he's in London with his little sunglasses. Yeah, exactly. He's pretty fucking cool. He's he's badass, right? Yeah. Who's your favorite, like, badass villain? Oh, geez. Oh, geez. I don't know. What a fucking question. (laughs) (laughs) 
But you know what I'm talking about where you're drawn to the bad guy. I mean, the bad guy is always more fun, I think, than the good guy. You know, a lot of people are going to kick my face for saying this, but recently the bad guy that I pay a lot of attention to because he's a badass is Bane. The defining moment for Bane for me to establish his badassness is the guy who is paying him to like go in and like wreck everything. Right. And he's like, I'm in charge here. And Bane uses the calming open hand and just puts it on his shoulder and he's like, Do you feel in charge? And the whole tone of how fucking cool he is kind of changes. <laughs> and some of these I think cross over. That's one of the other ones that they have on there. Worthy opponent and magnificent bastard. Lecter or... Le- we- Lecter would be the magnificent bastard. I think. Yes. Because he's totally in control. He's manipulating things. Palpatine's like that in, in, in Star Wars. Yeah. We won't talk too much about the prequels because I think you and I share some opinions on it could have been a terrific story. And really the only people that are watchable in that are Ewan McGregor and the fucking robots the robots <laughs> there's a there's a perfect example in there of evil is cool darth maul oh yeah darth maul is badass it's like Comes he says with like a, three lines in the whole movie and it's like and it's not even his voice no you've been david prouse <laughs> david prouse <laughs> Turn this ship apart. <laughs> so who would uh a worthy opponent example be I've never seen him done properly in movies. I've seen him done properly in the comic, which would be Luthor. You can go down the same route with Moriarty, and Moriarty's a great one with Holmes. In the movies, I'll submit, I mean, I love Gene Hackman, so I hate to say it, but I think I've told you this before. I think he's kind of a a little bit of a bitch in that movie because all he's out there for is real estate. Even Kevin Spacey, who's tremendous in a lot of things. Yeah. Especially as Kaiser Sose, another great evil character. In, a, in my perfect world, uh, Warner Brothers in DC would just take everything that Bruce Tim has ever done in the the animated universe mm-hmm. and just fucking shoot it in yeah. live action. Because uh, that Lex Luthor is the best Lex Luthor. Yeah, I mean, Luthor's supposed to be brilliant. I mean, okay, Man of Steel. It sets Luthor up to be awesome if they do it right. Well, yeah, because now we can get into this whole aspect where he's the bad guy, but he's not necessarily wrong. Right. Because he's he's like, hey, look, uh, you showed up and totally fucked up my city. You know what I mean? Spoiler alert. (laughs) Spoiler alert. Um, But, I mean, that's essentially what he can do. He can sit there and look at this guy. You're going to trust him. And I think that's the route they're going to take with Batman, too. I think he and Batman are going to be like the flip side of the same coin where Ben Affleck is like, oh, you know, Superman might not be such a bad guy. (laughs) How do you like them apples? (laughs) Right. But Moriarty, let's talk about Moriarty. He's awesome. And there was mutual respect there between the two. So that, I think, falls into the Magnificent Bastard kind of thing where they're two classy dudes and, you know, they just happen to be super brilliant. So they're kind of the flip side of the same coin, I suppose. Academia gone wrong on one half of it. You see the mutual respect where it's like, well, I don't like you and and we're adversaries. But, you know, it's almost like it's a tongue-in-cheek type of thing. And if they met in the right circumstances, they would sit down and have... A, a cup of tea together, yeah. which, I mean, they, I... They almost did it at Reichenbach Falls. They stopped, and they were allowing each other to write little notes to their seconds and, you know, taking off their jackets and, well, right. you know, Moriarty. Exactly. <laughs> and, and, and I love that because it's... it's It reminds me of... um And, and there, here's another magnificent bastard, the original Khan um, from oh, yeah. Space Seed and then later from Wrath of Khan. Uh, and Wrath of Khan, he goes and, I mean, he's, he's gotten to a point where he's kind of insane. So it's a different character in Wrath of Khan. But the, I mean, not that he wasn't really insane the entire time, but there's more of a, I don't know how to describe it, but he's it, pointier. Yeah. 
He's pointier in Wrath of Khan. That's one of the best Star Trek movies ever. Oh, it's the best, with hands down. Exactly. It's like the Empire Strikes Back of the Star Wars saga. And, I mean, there's just so many things that are perfect in that movie. And if it was shot from a different point of view, he would be the good guy. Because Kirk totally fucked him over. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, there's a point in Wrath of Khan, whenever Chekhov and his captain... Captain Pharrell. Yeah, Pharrell, that's it. They find him, and they're talking to him. And Chekhov slips, and he realizes that... Oh, wait a minute. You didn't think we were here. You didn't come here to find us. Right. I think at first he's like, he's pissed off because he's been there all this time. But he's like, oh, these guys finally fucking came and they're finally going to give us some help. And they're finally going to get us off this rock. My wife's dead. You know, everybody's fucked up here. And then he's like, wait a minute. You didn't come here to find us. And then he gets even more pissed off when he finds out that Kirk's an admiral now. Yeah, he gets so pissed off. He puts a fucking worm in Chekhov's <laughs> ear. <laughs> and it's a it, it's a great one-upmanship back and forth between Kirk and and Khan and the rest of the gang and Khan. Um, I mean, it's it's just this cat and mouse thing that's constantly going on. I, I will say, I think there's more emotion in it because Kirk even has that great emotional pissed off moment. Yeah, he's so fucking pissed that he does the famous yeah the the George Costanza yeah. Khan <laughs> yeah. like. Fuck that new guy. I liked Into Darkness. I mean, I knew it was a Khan movie going into it. I haven't seen it. I refuse to watch it. It rhymes with Wrath of Khan. It's not Wrath of Khan, yeah. obviously. It's it's a new interpretation. It's a different universe, obviously. And that's kind of where I made my peace with it is it's not like the prequels. Yeah. It's it, like a reboot equal. Right. It's an alternate timeline. It's like it's, it's independent and exists on its own out there. You remember Marvel Comics used to do these what-if comics all the time? Did yeah, you ever yeah. read those? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. So that's how I kind of see the new Star Trek movies. I see them in that what-if type of scenario. And really, they're made for a different audience. I mean, essentially what they're doing, they're bringing Star Trek to a new generation yeah. that didn't grow up with and invest in the same Star Trek movies and the series that you and I watched. Yeah. All right, so why don't we take a quick break, and when we come back, we'll talk a little bit about those villains that you love to hate. hate Stay tuned. Moves like a freight train, steady with a heavy weight, barreling down for many years, delivering loads of So what uh, what bad guys do you love to hate? Um, I think a lot of these are gray areas because I think that Lecter would fall into that category. Yeah, Lecter would probably fall into that love to hate thing because you can't really like a guy that just like kills people because they're rude and eats them. Well, yeah, but I mean, that's the one thing that they did is they kind of teddy bared him up with that origin movie. Yeah. If a Nazi eats your sister... It kind of writes you a blank check. To kind of <laughs> right. That's bad enough, but I think probably what damaged him the worst is knowing that he probably ate his sister as well. Right. Exactly. I think that's probably what what really put him beyond the 
point of no return. The dynamic of the movie is that you were on his, I mean, you were rooting for him. It's fun sometimes to root for the bad guy, though. It's because it's, it's always a surprise when the bad guy wins. And, and well, it, in a, in a way, Thomas Harris has you rooting for Lecter all the time. Yeah. Because of the, uh, you know, you got to hate Dr. Chilton and you, you kind of can't wait to see him break out of, uh, break out of his cage. And then the in Hannibal, Mason Verger is so fucking crazy. Oh god, yeah, that guy's a nutcase. <laughs> Let's you feed your face to the dogs. Yes, doctor, I'll do that. Leota, he cuts his head open and makes him eat his own brain. Yeah. And he's like, mm, that smells good. I'm gonna get me some of that. Oh, that is good. That's my brain. You just ate a memory. <laughs> <laughs> but uh you can move on to uh Patrick Bateman Ooh. and uh the um, uh, American Psycho, which, I mean, the brilliance behind that, I think, is for me, when I get to the end of the movie, I'm like, is this all in his head? Yeah. Or is he actually doing all of these things? Because it's very ambiguous. Yeah, the book was like that, too. The book kind of leaves you hanging. But I think that's the point, the point of the book. It's almost like he's a Walter Mitty of serial killers type of thing. <laughs> you know, like, well, <laughs> it's, instead of having, like, these grand adventures, he's like, I think I'll just go kill that guy. Yeah. And, uh, you know, getting into that huge thing over who has the best looking business card. Yeah. It's bone white. Yeah. I think it's, uh, so the type is something called Cerulean Braille. <laughs> and he's like fucking sweating and he's like, oh my God. <laughs> this is the coolest business card. It's slightly raised. Yeah. I'm a huge fan of that movie and, yeah. the, and the book. The book is a little bit much dynamically. The coolest thing about the book is it's written in first person. It's him uh-huh. and he's writing it like he's directing a movie or like it's a screenplay. Oh, like, really? Yeah. See, I have not read the book version. Yeah. I, uh, I highly recommend it. Like he'll do like the camera pans right and he's like writing everything around him like it's the screenplay. <laughs> awesome. And then they also have chapters that just ends in the middle of sentences. Really? Yeah. Like he's just distracted. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, you said you're a big fan of it. What do you think makes him a likable character? I think it's his vulnerability. I think it's this inability that he has to connect that makes him accessible to folks. Because we all have been in situations where we wish that we could just stand up and declare, uh, I've got to go return some fucking videotapes right. and leave. Yeah. You know, like totally disconnect yourself <laughs> from that. There's more A's in our society where not everybody can do that. Exactly right. But I think that we all kind of like, God, you know, in that small, tiny way, I wish I was kind of able just to be like, I'm not even here mentally, and I can just walk away from this conversation whenever I want and not give a shit about what anyone else thinks about it. <laughs> exactly. He He's very self-obsessed, obviously. Oh, just, oh, totally. So, as a matter of fact, I think his opinion is the only opinion that matters to him. Right. Absolutely. And that's why he's so, like, freaked out whenever somebody, like, comes close to what he considers perfection. Right. And he, yeah, exactly. And I, I think the only other person, and it's probably the reason that he keeps hiring her, is the, the prostitute. Because out of everyone in the whole movie, she's the only one that pays attention to what he's saying. Yeah. He's sitting there in a scene and he's talking, and Jared Leto's sitting there not paying any attention to him. Or Reese Witherspoon's sitting there not paying any attention to what he's talking about. But the, the hooker yeah. is like always like, oh, that's very interesting. <laughs> and I think if she is real, that's probably what got her in trouble. So I have a question here. Yeah. Um, defrosting the Ice Queen. It's 
what was the one? Uh, was it Overboard that had? I mean, this is going way back. Oh, Kurt Russell. Kurt Russell yeah. building the closets. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, and, and, and it's Goldie Hawn, Goldie right? Hawn, yeah. yeah. And she starts off as you know the the the, the bitch, and when and she, she loses amnesia, yeah. Which amnesia is perfect for <laughs> fixing all those situations. I love the the way that he does. Think back to that movie. I love the way he goes and he like redoes all the pictures, and it's like this doped up look that she has on her face in every single pic. Why do I always look so doped up? So, how about Leon? Let's talk about Leon. Leon's obviously a bad guy. He's, yeah. he's is he? Well, he's not a serial killer. No, but he's a contract killer. Yeah. So, I mean, is that a good guy? Well, do we? I don't know. Do we see him killing people who don't deserve it? That's the whole thing. That's the that's the thing of that's where you redeem your bad guy because I mean, if you like, if you're like, oh, this guy here, he goes out and he kills people for a living, right? But it's the whole thing where, I mean, uh, who is it? Um, and he takes his marching orders from Danny Aiello, for crying out loud. Well, there you go. <laughs> I mean, it, it fits into the same category of, of uh, Martin Blank. Right. But, and he has a great quote in the uh, in the movie where he says, if I show up at your door, you did something that brought me there. Right. And that's kind of the whole thing. It's like, okay, obviously you did something if, if I'm showing up to your door. And, I mean, he, he has the noble thing, which is the no women, no children. We're talking about gross point blank, aren't we? Or are we talking about... We're mixing them together. But... Okay, that's right. Um, I was just comparing the two because they're both in the same line of work, and it's kind of the same thing. It's like, I don't come to get you unless you deserve it. Right. Like, he just, um, you know, Danny Aiello gives him money and uh, someone's picture, and he just goes and, and kills a guy. Exactly. I noticed that you have the Corleones on this list, too. And I think uh... that this is, I think this is interesting because they're two totally evil characters in their own ways and they're both totally likable at points in time absolutely i mean because you have Vito, who is in the beginning i mean if you godfather 2 he's that's my favorite one yeah so you you look back to i mean which is the prequel really i mean well they cross over i mean you go back and forth but like half the movie is a flashback right um but i mean yeah i mean you, you see in the beginning he's just trying to take care of his family right He's a victim of circumstance, and he does the best that he can. He falls in with bad guys, and eventually he ends up in far too deep, and it becomes what it becomes. And, you know, I mean, like, when he's older, he's like, you know, the the, the guy running around with the orange the in his daughter, mouth. Doddering old fool right. sort of character. Exactly. So, but I mean, it's, like, he's likable there because, you know, he's, like, playing with his grandkids. And, and it's honest because if you're an evil guy, you're not evil, like, 100% of the time. Like, no. You have a family, you're going to goof around with your family as well. Right. But the capacity for evil and wrongdoing is insane. Then you have, of course, Michael, who he, when he starts out, he's pretty much an innocent. I mean, he knows what his family does and they wanted, they've done everything possible to try to keep him out of the business. I always equated the Corleone family, especially in the first movie with the Kennedys. There's, there's a good point to that. Yeah. So it's like, I always thought Michael was the Jack Kennedy. Of the, the Kennedy family. He's the legitimate one. That's yeah, what they're yeah. trying to do with Michael. They're like, you're the legitimate one. Right. We're going to make you, you're going to go to college. You're going to be a good boy, Michael. <laughs> and then, of course, he ends up having to go into the bathroom and find a gun and shoot somebody and then walk out and go to Italy. And compelling storytelling. It is compelling storytelling. I mean, you. So where do you think that Heath Ledger Joker lands? I know he's on your list. He is on my list because he's a compelling evil character. He's got likable qualities to him. And um, I think they make it really clear that he is an agent of chaos. 
the Joker has always been insane, but I think he's insane, but he's not because he knows what he's doing the whole time. He's like, I'm just going to do this to watch everything burn. All right. Well, this is a great list that you've, uh, you've accumulated here. Um, it's, it's a lot, but it's just a concept that's always interested me. Something you have to have to have someone for your, your protagonist to work against. But in order to make the story compelling, you have to have a good bad guy. And that's, that's something that's always interested me is how do we do that? And how do we do it well? And why do we end up liking the guy that's the bad guy? You got to sometimes. Real quick, talk about the cigarette smoking man in the X-Files. Oh, yeah. I mean, he's a, a great bad guy. He's a love to hate bad guy. Yes, very much so. It's towards the end of the series. They show that the whole reason why he's this bad guy is because he wrote this book and he's been trying to get it published. It's a takeoff of uh, Forrest Gump. And he's like, Mama said life's like a box of chocolates. It's a cheap, thoughtless gift that no one <laughs> likes to eat and he fucking throws them away. <laughs> See, I think that teddy bears him up. Like, yeah, I, I like him yeah. when he's like more of just this evil dude that sits around and smokes cigarettes and plots to sell out humanity to invading aliens. Yeah, I mean, and there's that there's that whole thing too with, tied into that where they have that whole group. The situation is so bad that they're just trying to buy time. So while they're doing all these evil things, the greater evil is this other possibility. Yeah. So it's like you have to have something where your bad guy. His motivation can't be because I like to skin dogs and kick babies. <laughs> like he's somewhere in his brain, he's got to think that he's doing the right thing somewhere along the line. Most of your compelling antagonists, in their own mind, they can justify it. They're like, okay, I understand the reason why this needs to be done. Like Alex Luthor, where he's yeah. like, I've got to stop Superman because he's too powerful. Right. He's an alien. How do you trust him? Exactly. You know, et cetera, et cetera. Their logic may be flawed because we're judging them from our perspective. But if you can see a reason behind it, going back to your kick babies and skin dogs thing, I mean, I don't think that you could come up with a good, compelling reason for wanting to do either of those no. two things. That baby's got a knife. <laughs> Gotta kick it. Look at the way that motherfucker is looking at me. Kick its face off. <laughs> Kill it with fire. True that. Yo. So thanks for having me on for uh, episode one. I appreciate it. Absolutely. And uh, we'll get together and figure out a day for you to come out and do some RHR. That would be fantastic. I'd love to, to come into the studio high atop. Or, 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 it, or is your new studio down in it the... It alternates. It, sometimes it's high atop, sometimes it's far below. Down in the catacombs. I used to uh, record at a fictional country that Commando took place in. Oh, okay, okay. I got gotcha. you. the general from Die Hard 2. And we used to record from there. The name of the country is classified at this point. <laughs> it's classified information. <laughs> All right, thanks again, Dan. All right, man. Have a good one, and we will talk to you soon. Bye. Listening to the Ninth Story Podcast, a Hicks and Fabulous production. I broke it. Hey man, this is the first one. Give me a break. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Aside from the lost episode that was just like a drunken ramble. About Giorgio Tsoukalos. <laughs> that's like the best part of that. I'm, that that's what makes me sad. That's the part that's all echoey, is when we're talking about Giorgio Tsoukalos' hair. Is it uh, Ancient Aliens? 
Yes. The answer is yes. <laughs> it's the name of the fucking show. All right. What else are we talking about? Anything? Um, I think we got through most of your list here. Yeah. We skipped uh, Zod and Hal 9000. Yeah, well. I mean, can't have everything. 